0: Hey guys, this is Sarah Beth, and you are listening to episode 34 of the Simply 127 podcast. Today's guest is Tracy Arnson. Tracy is the co-founder and executive director of Saving Susan, a nonprofit organization based in Marietta, Georgia, that works with vulnerable communities in Cambodia and Guatemala. Tracy is a prayer warrior, and I love listening to her share about how prayer has been central to her work and how God has been faithful and specifically answered her prayers. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Tracy. Can you tell us a
1: little bit about yourself? Hey, Sarah Beth. Thanks so much for having me on with you today. Yeah. I'm just really grateful.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation.
1: So my husband, Jay, and I, um, we live in... North Atlanta, um, in Marietta, and we also spend a lot of time in Blue Ridge, Georgia, where we have our home up there. But we own an elevator company, and we have three amazing sons. Um, None of them are married, and two of the three have been on mission trips with us before. Okay. Um, So one is out west working, and one is in Dallas, Texas, and one's here in Atlanta with us. Um so Jay runs our elevator company and I run and oversee Saving Susan Ministry. Yeah, I want you to let's just start there.
0: Tell us a little bit about Saving Susan, uh, how you got started. I know it's a, probably a long story, so we'll we'll just kind of start the conversation with that.
1: Yeah. I'll give you the cliff notes. <laughs> so um, in in 2008, my husband left a career of 27 years with a major elevator company and started his own company. And about five years into that, so imagine starting up you know, a business. About five years into that, we felt the urge and the nudge by God to change churches, and we didn't know why. Mm-hmm. We were content at our church. But we prayed and we were clear we were supposed to change churches. So we went to a church where we didn't even know the pastor or, you know, know much about the church. And a few months into that, it was Mission Sunday. And we got in the car after that, and my husband turned and looked at me and he said, God's calling me to go on that mission trip to Cambodia. And I was like, what? (laughs) Because he was 54 years old, had never been on a mission trip or ever expressed any desire to go on a mission trip. That's and I'm awesome. like, well, if you think God's calling you, you better go. <laughs> and and he said, and I think I'm supposed to take our middle son. So he talked to Jared, and Jared, who's always up for an adventure, said, sure, I'll go. <laughs> so they went, and while he was over there, one of their stops was an orphanage in Kampong Tom, Cambodia. And stopped by a children's home, B League Children's Home, and he instantly was drawn to this one little girl. And he says, within just a few days, he was madly in love with her. And he he FaceTimes me from Cambodia and did not have good internet connection at all, and and tells me we're going to adopt this little girl, and Surprise. then we lose, con- <laughs> yeah, and we lose connection, you know. <laughs> Um, so I I think I kind of felt like, you know, how a husband feels when his wife says, oh, we're expecting, (laughs) um, but he jumps on a plane and travels home for 24 hours. And I have no idea what this means. Um, but shortly after he got back, we learned that the borders are closed to adopt children out of Cambodia. The U S has closed Mm -hmm. the borders in an effort to protect them against trafficking, um, which is sad because sometimes, oftentimes that's where they end up in, in developing countries um, without right. the proper, you know, without the proper things in their life. Um, so he was kind of devastated because he felt like the whole purpose of this trip was to adopt her into our family. At that time, I think our youngest was 14. Um, so... After praying and talking to some pastors and friends and mentors, um, he was inspired and reached out to Dr. Castro, this wonderful, amazing man who's dedicated his life to serving the people of Cambodia. He and his wife, Joy, he reached out and said, hey, we'd like to we'd like to take care of her needs. What is it she needs? And and is there any way we can get to know her through you, um, you know, but have some sort of relationship with her? So he we said, we'll come over and we'll talk. So we went back the next summer, and we took two of our boys, Jared and Mason, with us. And what hit me the moment we stepped off of the van into where the children were waiting for these guests to arrive, we had been praying for this little girl for a year. We had a picture of her in our kitchen. We talked about her. Um, Jay could not pronounce her name. It's Wichika. But if you look at the spelling, it isn't pronounced anything like that. And so we nicknamed her, he nicknamed her Susan. So that kind of stuck. So that's where (laughs) Susan comes from.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So, but Dr. Castro tells us that she has a brother named Mesa. And would we be willing to do the same for him? And we said, sure. So we started sending him monthly funding and started having regular Skype calls just so we could see them and get to know them and pray for them. And there was a language barrier. They spoke no English and we spoke no Khmer. (laughs) Um, And over the next year, it just developed and God birthed a ministry. Um, So it's a very relational approach to orphan care. It's very different than what some of us know as orphan care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the basis of it is relational.
0: That's awesome. So you're saying he was 54 and you guys had a pretty big learning curve to enter into this world (laughs) in your 50s, I would think. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, um, Maybe not specific books that you read, but just like influences that kind of helped shape and mold you as you were starting a nonprofit?
1: Yeah, we knew nothing about nonprofits. In (laughs) fact, the first application we turned in for our 5013C was rejected because we didn't do some things right. I can't remember what it was. I think we filed the wrong kind of corporation or something. Um, but starting a business, um, you know, was helpful, right? Because um, we had been through that startup. Um, and I'll just give credit to my husband. I mean, God's gifted him with an incredible mind. He yeah. and he's he's fearless. I mean, he wasn't at all intimidated by doing this. I was <laughs> extremely intimidated. Um, and I'm not as good with the unknown as he is comfortable with that. So right away I said, uh, I'll do this with you, and I have one request. I actually said it probably a little more. (laughs) I have one thing that is non-negotiable, and I said it's that we'll be founded and undergirded in prayer, that we will pray regularly, that prayer will be our central value, that we will meet on a regular basis. And so really, I think, and he committed to that. And I said, and we'll we'll set prayer meetings and we won't miss them. I mean, owning your own business, you know, it's, I said, that's something we have to got to put on the schedule and we're Mm going to schedule it and we won't miss it. And here we are, you know, six years later, we are still praying regularly. It's the most important work we do.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, for sure, the business acumen, I was... I knew that he, you know, he had that to add, but I was thinking more of just the, excuse me, the whole, the realm of orphan care and the learning curve there of, you know, when helping hurts kinds of things. So um, just learning how to, you know, preserve dignity and work, you were talking about earlier before we hit record, working with local leaders. And that was like a whole separate learning curve for you, not only having a, a nonprofit, but also... I'm um, just working in vulnerable communities.
1: Oh gosh, we knew nothing about orphan care. Yeah. We really knew nothing, so yeah. we really plugged in and collaborated, and and read and connected with and learned from experts. Um, read lots of books. I'm a natural learner. I love to learn. Right. Um, right. So there's there's a lot of good information out there to learn what to do and mm-hmm. learn what not to do. Um, so you can look at different resources and, you know, just kind of sift it through what would God want us to do. Right. That's
0: a good transition. We were talking a little bit about um, both of us have our own opinions about different kinds of child sponsorship. So um, I went at on the Simply 127 podcast, we want to kind of portray various ways people are taking care of orphans and widows and living out James 127 and kind of advocating like God's created different people and He's a very creative God and we can all use our gifts and talents and and work together, which I know you're on board with collaboration. But can you just talk a little bit about what say, how saving Susan is different than maybe some of these stereotypical sponsorship programs that people are, might be thinking of?
1: Sure. We, I mean, we can all be united and and work at the same goal of orphan care, even in our uniqueness as people. Mm. I mean, God's created us each very uniquely, but in our uniqueness of how we do that, ours is very different. Our emphasis is placed on relationship. Mm. so we use um, a, a tool or a method called parent partnering. So we've, we find a family that wants to pour into an orphan's life and do it in a relational manner. Now that there's a yellow flag there, a flag of caution because if you know, the orphan partners that we're working with in country, um, they have to trust that there's going to be some vetting and some screening and fielding. And we have to have protections around how these people interact with the children. So there's, An application process that's pretty in-depth, I would say similar to an adoption process, Mm -hmm. um, where the couple needs to, you know, share their testimony with us. Most importantly, they need to pray about this and ask the Lord to reveal if He's calling them into the life of this child. Because again, they're going to meet this child and get to know them. and. So they have to be on the same page. They have to, and we've had couples where one is really excited about it, but one is not. And so that's part of the application process as a, you know, if it's a single person, it's a little different. But as a married couple, um, you know, you need to come together and be united in that. Um, right. So the application process takes some time. Sometimes there's no, you know, exact science to it, but we just walk through it prayerfully with them. And then once they are kind of vetted through and our board votes on every family that comes forward to parent partner, our executive board does, Mm -hmm. and once they come forward and then we match them with a child. So we share some stories and, and God just naturally weaves it through. And, you know, at the end of it, we always hear this is the perfect child that we want to pour into. So then they're introduced to the child, um, through video calling and we have parameters and, you know, guidelines and those calls are always supervised on both sides. Um, oftentimes, we'll take a mission team in country to visit one of the homes we work with. And that's where God will stir a person's heart for a certain child, like he did Jay's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those video calls continue. You know, it's interesting because COVID has kind of made what we do really understandable for people because now people understand oh we can build relationship through video calling yeah um so that really was a kind of a blessing for us with covid yeah. um but it is relational and you know two to three times a month the families will engage with this child through video calling and then we encourage people and most of our parent partners have come in country multiple times to spend time with their child of course always supervised with the orphan community staff and directors engaged in that. Um, And when we go in field in country, it's a little different. We don't go to build buildings or paint fences or dig ditches, and that's all great work, but we go to spend time with the children. We invest in their lives. We disciple them. We disciple the ones caring for these children day in and day out. Hmm. I knew that
0: was one thing we kind of landed on, Total agreement is the how you guys invest in the local leaders who are there when you're not and how you trust them and build that relationship. So can you talk a little bit about um, those partners that you have?
1: Yeah, we recognize that they are there day in and day out. And when we show up, just like when a grandparent shows up, you know, at their grandchildren's home. The children tend to be on their best behavior and, <laughs> right, you know, right. they're, they're longing to spend time with these special, you know, loved ones. Um, but we recognize that the the orphan community leaders and their staff, they're the ones dealing with the hard stuff every day, day in and day out. Um, and the number of children that they care for. I mean, I raised three children. I don't know how they raise all these kids. <laughs> Um, no matter how much staff you have, because emotionally, it's you know they all have different needs. yeah, um, so our orphan and um, children's home leaders and and directors and their staff are they're special to us. so we we pray with them when we go. We message them in between visits. Um, we pour into them. One of their daughters just got married, and we sent a gift to her. Mm-hmm. I mean, we treat them like they're our family as well. Right. Um, and it's mutual. We learn from them. Oh, my gosh, we learn so much just from watching their lives. Their lives are a testimony to watch. It's beautiful to watch.
0: That's great. I love that. So tell us a little bit about what God has done through Saving Susan these last few years, maybe some a couple of success stories um, I would love for you just to share more about what you've seen God do.
1: There's so much. I, I wonder why I'm not writing everything down. Um, <laughs> there's so much that God's done. I think the biggest thing He's done is answered our prayers. Mm-hmm. So every month when we have our prayer meeting, we have a prayer agenda and a focus. Um, we have a prayer chairman who leads us. God's blessed us with some amazing people in that role. And so... Then at the end of the year, we go back and we review these prayer agendas from our prayer meetings. And it's amazing to see where God has answered prayers. That's um, great. What, what our, our kind of end game is is when these kids graduate high school and move out of their orphan community, um, we offer them the opportunity to apply for a scholarship to go to trade school um, or university. hmm. So they apply for a scholarship. They agree that they will give back to the ministry or the orphan community in some capacity. Um, But this is called our Next Steps program. And there's a scholarship fund, the Baskin Bowler Scholarship Fund, which is the two pastors who took Jay into Cambodia um, in 2013. So... I mean, a big success story for us is that we right now have kids going to university. That's awesome. We have two young men who are in their third year of medical school to become doctors. Hmm. So if we think about a kid growing up in an orphan community in a developing country, right. and now they're in their third year of medical school, well, their parent partners are walking alongside of them in relationship because that relationship has been built when they were younger, and so they talk to them and video call them on a regular basis. They support them. They pray with them. They're their, their you know, support system. Right. And it's amazing. I have hanging in my office wall, um, I sent one of the college kids a, a message. I just sent her a Facebook message and I said, hey, we want you to know that we love you and we're proud of you. And I printed it out because her response moved me to tears. It said, Ah, that is the most beautiful thing I've heard today. (laughs) Your prayers and unconditional love keep my feet grounded every day. I love that. Yeah. So it's amazing how we're, you know, I think the success story is that God's using us to change the lives of these kids. I mean, change it major. I mean, you know, where would these kids be if they weren't going to college? And we have discipleship pastors mentor them in country. Um, But we have a music academy that we've instituted in the orphan communities that we work with. And we have one young man in Guatemala, um, when he was 17, he started taking music lessons. And within a year, he was playing five. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's incredible. We've also seen God transform lives on this side. The families that we work with and we're in community with who are parent-partnering, our own life included, mine and Jay's, God has transformed us through the work that He's doing with us and through us. And so, it's just a beautiful picture of, of what's happening on both sides.
0: I love this idea as we take steps of obedience in our lives that God is also shaping and molding us at the same time. I think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel at work in our lives. And as you know, this season on the 127 podcast, we've been talking about the gospel and how Christians are uniquely equipped and motivated to care for the vulnerable. So, I'd love to know just what you think about that.
1: Well, first and foremost, I mean, let's look what Jesus did when He walked on this earth. Right. How He loved the marginal, how He took time for the marginal, how He went deep with the marginal. Um, God's Word commands us to care for You know, The Hungry, The Poor, The Orphans, The Widows, and a couple of great books that really, um, you know, motivated me or or opened my mind to thinking about this in a little bit different way, um, Orphan Excellence. And the author speaks in there about if we are called to care for the orphans, why don't we care for them the same way we care for our own children? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That sent me thinking deeply. Yeah. Um, and Richard Sterns, the president of World Vision, I read his book years ago, The Hole in Our Gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, just how we say we're willing to care and we're willing to do these things. Um, but are we willing to really do it? Like with all our heart? Because Jesus did. You know, right. Jesus didn't half-heart it. Um So, um, it's really called us, you know, to keep our eyes on Jesus and watch how Jesus did it and try to follow that example. yeah. Um, Not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. And what does that mean to follow him wholeheartedly in caring for orphans? It means stepping into the difficult stuff. It means making sacrifice. It means putting our plans on hold to do what God calls us. You mentioned the word obedience earlier, and I'm still in awe, like I could just fall off my chair when I think about how easily it would have been for Jay, my husband, not to call or not to act on that step, how easily it would have been for Jay to hear the father whisper, I want you to go to Cambodia. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, he had a busy career, an active family, you know, lots of commitments. He was serving at our church at the time. But no, he heard the voice and at first it didn't seem like much and he could have easily walked by that. And I'm, I mean, I know we all, myself included, have felt nudgings and don't do anything with it. And maybe another nudging comes and we do something with that nudging. But I think God is always pursuing us and always calling us into some step of obedience. And because Jay obeyed, And went on that first mission trip at age 54. And because we (laughs) obeyed and God called us to start something that we had no idea what we were doing. So, I, I think obedience has such a big role in this. Yeah, it's a
0: ripple effect. Because of your obedience, you'll never know this side of heaven, the impact that you've had on other people's justice journey. Speaking of that, one question that I always like to ask is, what advice would you give to someone who maybe is where you were six or seven years ago? They're wanting to get involved, to tangibly live out James 127, but they just don't know where to start. What advice would you give to them?
1: How I would encourage someone who's just starting their justice journey, as you call it, Sarah Bath, um, the first step is form a prayer team. Oh my gosh, Form, get people around you to pray and spend a lot of time in quiet, personal prayer. You know, how many times do we read in the Gospels where Jesus went away to pray? That's right. some of the most precious and important work that you can do in your justice journey. Taking care of your own spiritual health, mm-hmm. staying connected with God and have a yearning to go deeper and more intimate with the Lord. Because we've found the more we do that, the more God entrusts us with, the more He reveals to us. So, it's really, again, I know you said I brought up prayer a lot, but <laughs> I think the the foundation has to be prayer.
0: I agree. Both of those things. Prayer is so important, and then our own spiritual health is so important. I know we've discussed um, self-care and a couple of other episodes, and it really is something that we we can't neglect. So, Thank you for sharing both of those. Um, I think we're about ready to wind down this conversation, but is there anything else that you would like to add? Maybe just share some closing thoughts with us.
1: Well, I mean, there's a hundred, I think the number's around (laughs) 150 million orphan kids in the world, worldwide. Mm -hmm. And I remember one day I was so overwhelmed with that in my quiet time. And I'm like, God, I'm already... You know, fifty-five years old. How am I going to get to all these kids? <laughs> um, and and I um, I almost I almost heard God audibly laugh. Like, sweet child, I'm not calling you to do all that. I'm just <laughs> calling you. You know, the children I put in front of you serve them, but serve them well. Um, and so our our tagline is, you know, saving Susan one child one step. So we just we kind of go at it. In a very um, quality approach, um, and, and deep and relational, um, and so it's a different kind of orphan care. You know, there are organizations out there who do children sponsorships where you send funding, and you know, you get a picture. And we did those, um, but this is deeper. Mm-hmm. And the deeper you go, just like your relationship with the Lord, the deeper you go, the more blessed you'll be, and the more you'll see of the Lord. So if anyone out there is, you know, has that nudge, we'd love to talk to you. Thank you for having me today, Sarah. Yeah, this was so fun. fun.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in today, guys. You can feel free to reach out to Tracy if you have any questions or you want to chat more about the work that they're doing. Her email address is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at org. And the ministry website is the same ending, savingsusannministry.org. So feel free to check that out as well. Tracy also mentioned two books that were instrumental for her. One was The Hole in the Gospel by Richard Stearns, and the other was In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence. That one was edited by Keith McFarland and my good friend Phil Dark, who will hopefully be a future guest on the podcast. Um, We'll add those and some other information into the show notes, so make sure you check those out at 127worldwide.org forward slash simply 127. Thanks so much and have a great week.